Today, I want to talk about uh, a piece of foundational work in our understanding of the Bible and of reality itself. Uh, there are references right through the Bible to the temple, and I want to put everything together so that it comes into focus. Uh, I've borrowed heavily from a book by a, a, a man called uh, Greg Beale called The Temple and the Church's Mission, Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God, which is a phenomenal piece of work. And if you're interested, I can send you a link to that. But to, to try and put the goal together for what we're going to do today. The goal is to grasp the power of the temple imagery through the Bible and to see how it impacts our own lives and our mission, to grasp the power of the temple imagery throughout the Bible and to see how it impacts our own lives and our mission. And um, I'm going to, we're going to be going in a time machine from, uh, we're going to start off uh, going back to creation and then we're going to go uh 3,000 years ago, then we're going to go forward to the end of time, and then we're going to come back to now. Except we're not going to be traveling in a TARDIS. This is a Doctor Who reference for those of you who don't get it. We're not going to be traveling in a TARDIS. We're going to be traveling in a temple. So we're going to go back to creation. Then we're going to go 300 years, 3,000 years ago, forward to the end of time, and then back to now. Okay, who's up for the ride? Great. Um, so we're going to go, so we'll start by traveling right back to Eden, back to the beginning when God created man and woman and placed them. And I've got in Eden, and I've got five reasons why Eden was a temple. Five reasons why Eden was a temple. The first of these is Eden functioned as a temple. Um, the temple was the unique place where God's people could experience his presence. God's people experienced his presence in the temple. And of course, Eden was the place of God's presence. His presence was there. In fact, there's a very, there's a very, um, close connection in Leviticus 26, 12. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people, which is the exact Hebrew word form that's used in Eden to describe God with Adam and Eve. Um, so that's the first. It functioned as a temple. It's also the temple was full of Eden imagery, imagery from the Garden of Eden. So um, the the temple in First Kings, we read it, had floral decorations, gourds, flowers, palm trees, pomegranates, like it was filled with garden imagery all the way around. Um, we're told it was on a mountain, just like Mount Zion. Temple was on a mountain. Um, there were gold and precious stones are described, and every temple imagery throughout the entire Bible, as we'll see, talks about gold, precious stones, and lists them. And we see them listed here in this description, which is a clue to us of temple imagery. Um, it's actually in Ezekiel 28:18. It's actually called sanctuaries. The same word is used 
in Ezekiel referring back to Eden. It's called sanctuaries. And uh, one more is the tree of life was probably the model for the lampstand. The lampstand in the temple probably patterned after that. Now, we don't know exactly what it looks like, but there's a menorah, a menorah on the arch in Rome uh, of the Romans uh, when they, they took all the stuff from the temple. And they, there's this carving. We can see this ancient carving. And that's how they represented the, the um, lampstand which is probably accurate since they were the ones that took it. Uh, so, and it looks like a tree. It's there to look. So the, the idea is the imagery of the lampstand in the temple was an image of the tree of life that was there. So Eden functions as a temple. It's full of temple imagery. And Adam and Eve actually functioned as priests. In Genesis 2.12, they are told to serve and guard Eden. Now, if you look at what that word means, exactly that same word is used later for priests who serve or guard the temple. Same word is used for their role in the garden. Adam and Eve, of course, were to guard against the serpent, amongst other things, and of course they failed to do that, and they lost that role, and it was given over to angels to do that after they failed to do that. So, third point, third reason is they function as priests. The, the, the fourth one is that they were also, as well as being in the garden, they were also commanded to subdue the earth. Now, this is going to be interesting later when we see what this comes to. But if we look at what it says in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, subdue it's not in a negative sense. It's in terms of bringing order, just like with a garden, you, you, would, you would take maybe what might be wilderness and you would just bring some order to it. And so they bring order, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. And so the idea here behind this is that actually they were to extend Eden over the whole earth. So to start off with Eden is this place, a smaller place, but they were to bring Eden out to cover the whole earth and to spread and to multiply themselves, to have children and to fill the whole earth with God's presence. Uh, that's the fourth. The, the, the last one, the last reason is the final temple um, in Revelation is full of Eden symbols, and I'm going to come to that a little later. So let's just summarize what we did then. Five reasons why Eden was a temple. Eden functioned as a temple because a temple is where you meet God in God's presence, and that's where Eden was. The temple was full of Eden imagery. So when when the temple was built and the tabernacle, I'm going to be using temple and tabernacle interchangeably now. So temp, when the tabernacle was built and the, and the embroidery and everything, it was all garden imagery, you know, trees and, and fruits and so on all around it, full of Eden imagery, Adam and Eve, were priests, they had this role within Eden, and they were to subdue the earth and to extend the borders of the temple and the final temple full of Eden symbols. Um, so we've we've done some time travel then. I'd like to now go to three thousand years ago. We've gone right back to being I'd like to go to three thousand years ago when we actually have the tabernacle in the wilderness. So that's a, a model of the tabernacle. And 
If you look at it, there are, there are actually three parts. Does anybody know the three parts of the tabernacle? The Holy of Holies, the outer courts, and it's the holy place. Yeah, good. That's, uh, that's, that's exactly the three parts. In fact, I've got a little diagram there. So there's that right on, on the, on your left hand side there, the most holy place, holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then the rest of the building is called the holy place. And then the, the courtyard outside called the outer courtyard. So those are the three parts to it. And, uh, the, so, the Holy of Holies represented the invisible spiritual dimension of what was, what, um, of who God was. Uh, the holy place rep, uh, uh, represented, or well, actually, I'm, I, I, I'm, I won't give you the answers until I've explained it a little bit more, but, um, let's, uh, let's go through some detail here. Uh, inside the Holy of Holies, this is a depiction of what it might have looked like. There's an Ark of the Covenant. Who knows what was in the Ark? It's a manna. That's not the most important thing. It's the Ark of the Covenant. So inside was the, the Ten Commandments, the, the center of the covenant. There was Aaron's rod that budded was in there as well. So, um, there, this is, so this is the Ark and represents God's covenant. And there were, um, there were some golden angels on the lid as well. Uh, so this Ark, this box to keep these things in, um, there's something missing from this because this in a normal, in a normal a temple, you would have a statue of the God. And what we have here, the, the, the ark is like his footstool where he puts his feet. But there's no God, is there? Where is he? The extraordinary thing about Israel's temple, unlike any other temple in ancient times, there's no God. He's invisible. This was the striking thing. This was utterly different. No image of him. The ark, the Bible calls the ark God's footstool, but like, you can't see anything. Um, in fact, it's cordoned off to show its separateness. No humans are allowed in this area except once a year when the high priest comes in. And so it represents the dwelling place of the invisible God. The Holy of Holies represents the dwelling place of the invisible God. Um, so the, what we're going to see is that the whole temple with the holy place, the, the, the holy of holies, the holy place, and the outer courts are a model of reality, a scale model of reality. You know, if architects want to do some great architectural design or redevelop the center of a city or something, they'll build a scale model, you know, with tiny little trees and little cars, and, and the whole thing will be a scale model. And it's like the temple is a scale model of reality. And the Holy of Holies is God's presence, God's invisible presence. So I want to ask you then, if this visible presence what are we going to say then about the, the, the holy place? Not the holy of holies, but the holy place, the other place inside the building. Well, let's have a think about what it can represent. If you were to go in there, one of the most striking things that you would see is lights. 
There were 70 lights throughout, absolutely everywhere, and it was embroidered in blue, purple, scarlet with figures of winged creatures. Um, the the uh, the um, the words describing these lights are the same words as for the stars in the sky, and. Um, uh, in, and in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, it says, God spreads out the heavens like a tent to dwell in. Uh, the, the, um, lot of metal involved in the embroidery in there, and this metal would have reflected the light. So you see the sheen of light that's in there. And the Jews understood this, and I believe correctly, that this was to represent the sky, the universe. The outer courts represented the universe. And in the time of Jesus, this is what the common understanding amongst the Jews was. And we know that from the writings. And I believe that that's right. Because we have a scale model of reality here. And the universe is this area, this the holy place. God's dwelling place is, is part of that. God's dwelling place is the holy of holies. So what does the outer court represent then if those are what the other two represent? Anybody suggest? What the outer court might represent? Yeah? Yeah, the outer court represents, thank you, the outer court represents the world, which includes ourselves, includes everything else in reality. So, for example, the massive wash basin that they had in the outer court it was actually called the sea. That's what it's named, if you look at the words used in the Bible. The, there were... Uh, there were 12 balls there facing the four quarters of the earth. It's described as these 12 balls, and that's how they're described. There was a huge altar, and the bottom of it was described as the bosom of the earth, this huge altar. Um, all of God's people could enter this place. And um, there are actually places in Scripture where the heavens and earth are described as God's temple. So in Psalm 78, it says, He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he's founded forever. And so the temple is a scale model of reality with the earth, the heavens, and God's dwelling place. And uh, so Psalm 78 there is pretty explicit. The temple is this model. So what is the purpose of this? Why are we given this temple representing reality? Well, uh, the first thing is to say this little temple was never designed to last forever. It was a small model of something bigger. Um, God and his universal presence was to be available to fill everything. So Israel received the same commission as Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were told to fill the earth. They were to subdue the earth. They were to spread effectively God's temple over the earth. Israel were told the same thing. Israel were told that their responsibility was to show God's glory to the nations. They were to spread the presence of God over the earth. They received this same commission. They were told, although they had priests, although you know, they had the tribe of Levite and some of the tribe of Levi were priests, they were also told in Ezekiel 19 that all of them were priests. They were a kingdom of priests because they were to carry God's presence. <clears throat> uh, they were to be priests for the world. 
And there are prophecies, a lot of prophecies about extending the tabernacle, making it bigger. But instead of seeing their role as being able to take God's glory over the whole earth, they saw the temple as a sign that they were God's only true people. Do you see that? This was the key core problem. Instead of seeing their role to show glory over the earth, they just hunkered down and enjoyed what they had as God's temple, as God's people. So let's think about this. Does this really make sense? Uh, let's, let's imagine that an architect makes a model of a new community center and is this beautiful center and that, that they want to think about building and it's got, you know, tiny shrubs and miniature cars and everybody in the community loves this community center. They all come, they look at the model and they say, yeah, this is great. And they start raising money to build it. But then a few people say, hey, what's wrong with the model? Why do we have to build it? This model is beautiful. Can you imagine what reception that would get? Like, it would be ridiculous. The model is not supposed to stay the model. The model is just to help us to build the real thing. And this is the crazy thing about the temple, which you have to get today, is the temple was a model, but it wasn't supposed to stay a model. It was just supposed to give us an idea about what God is wanting to do. It was just a model. And if there's one thing you're to remember, I want you to get this week, is that the temple is just a model. And we are part, our mission is part of turning this into reality. So uh, say something about the, the Holy of Holies. Um, one thing, as we look at the Holy of Holies, we look at the model that's very interesting when it describes it, it says the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. Anybody know what a cubit is? It's about this distance here. It was how they measured things. Yeah, a cubit. So about a um, little less than half a meter. So you're, you're talking about um, a little less than 30 meters. So this is the size. Uh, but the interesting thing is it's the same in each dimension. What do we call a shape that's got the same in each dimension? A cube. That's right. So it's a cube. Just remember that. Um, so we're going to go back to our time travel now. And now we're going to go forward to the end of time. And on the way through, we're going to make a very brief stop 3,000 years ago uh, to Ezekiel chapter 40. And Ezekiel describes... A huge, a future temple that's so big. Actually, I, I don't have an image of that. We'll come back. I'll just tell you. Um, in Ezekiel's one, it's in chapter 40 through to uh, 48, a temple that is too big to actually be built, but it's a cube. And it would actually dominate the whole earth, but it's not a three-part temple. It is only the Holy of Holies. There's no holy place or outer court. This temple is just a cube, and it's predicted as a prophecy in Ezekiel. Um, so we come to the book of Revelation, and in Revelation 21, we see... Uh, a description of right at the end when when the new creation comes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist. 
and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this is a kind of a weird city, as you'll see. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the tabernacle of God is among human beings. So this should give us a clue, temple tabernacle language. We're going to see some more things coming up in here. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. and He will wipe every away every tear from the eyes and death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have ceased to exist. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Then he said to me, write it down because these words are reliable and true. So let's skip ahead to verse 10. So they see this huge city, city of Jerusalem descending out of heaven and it says the city possesses the glory of God. Its brilliance is like precious jewels, like stone of crystal clear jasper. We're getting this sort of precious stone imagery from Eden now. The angel who spoke to me had a golden measuring rod with which to measure the city and its foundation stones and wall. And now the city is laid out as a square. Its length and width of the same, he measured the city with a measuring rod at 2,200 kilometers. That's the size. Its length and width and height are equal. So what is it? It's a cube and it's symbolic of the Holy of Holies. So we started off with a tiny little Holy of Holies, you know, 20, 20 meters, 20 uh, uh, cubits. And now we have this massive, uh, City and um, it's uh, it's uh, the city that's a cube. I mean, imagine um, Star Trek came across a new planet that was cube shape, and then they discovered that this cube was just one city. It's kind of like that. It's this. It's it's symbolic of this one place, which is God's presence. Um, <clears throat> well, why is the city a perfect cube? It's it doesn't have an outer court. It doesn't have a holy place. It only has the Holy of Holies because God's presence pervades all of it. God, There's no place in this new creation that is not God's presence. Now, notice this is... Be, this is not, this is symbolic language. We're not going to spend eternity in a cube. This is symbolic. We spend eternity of God's presence and God's presence is symbolized by this cube. So... Let's just skip ahead, verse 18. Um, the city's wall is made of jasper, and the city is pure gold like transparent glass. Pure gold, this is how the Holy of Holies was described as having pure, being, being pure gold, uh, lined with gold. And this is the same thing. Um, goes on, foundations of the city's wall are decorated with every kind of precious stone and goes on, uses the same kind of language as before. So we're seeing the same language then as Eden. Um, why then are there not three parts of this temple? Why is there only one part? Because the other parts are not needed anymore. They've fallen away like when a caterpillar 
grows out of a chrysalis and becomes a beautiful butterfly. And the old is not needed anymore. They're not needed because all we need now is the presence of God. Let's look at uh, a few verses from chapter 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, water as clear as crystal, pouring out from the throne of God and the Lamb, flowing down the middle of the city's main street on each side of the river is the tree of life, of course, which was in Eden, producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations. So we have Garden of Eden imagery here once again. Uh, night will be no more, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the, gl- the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So, this is the end of time, and the temple at the end of time. We've seen the temple at the beginning, the temple in the wilderness, the temple at the end of time, and now we're going to come back to now, but we're going to visit Jesus on the way. So we're not coming straight back here. We're just going to pop back to to Jesus, and then we're going to come back here. So what about Jesus? I want to say that quite simply, Christ and his followers are a temple in the new creation, because this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven is also described as the bride. In other words, it's us. So although it's described as a city, it's also a people. It's us. So what does Jesus say? Uh, he says, so the essence of the temple, we know, is the presence of God. And Jesus calls himself the cornerstone of the temple. In John two eighteen to 21, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And of course, they got very angry about that and they didn't understand what he meant by that. But it says he was speaking of the temple of his body. Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he began the construction of the new temple. And he was the first. He was the cornerstone that it was building. And so this is the new temple. And just as as uh, the old temple was a place of forgiveness, a place for having your sins washed away, so is the new temple in Jesus in what he has done. And of course, we are living stones, as First Peter 2.5 says, uh, and in the, we are the temple of the living God, Second Corinthians 6.16. So we are described in many places in the New Testament as being the temple. Um, we're to continue the task of sharing God's presence with others until the end of the age when the task will be completed and the work will be done. So I'm going to argue, and this is the point of my whole message this morning, this is what, what witnessing is. We're carrying out these prophecies. As we express the love of God to this world, we are extending the temple. I want to argue that this is the basis for evangelism. Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you what, can you tell me what the equivalent is for us in the new, the new creation? There's a very similar verse to this. Exactly. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Do you see that? That beautiful parallel there. So the role that they were given was extending Eden 
God's glory over the whole earth. We're given the same role to make disciples by extending, which, which results in extending the temple of God. Adam and Eve were to extend the roof of the temple to cover the earth, and so are we. Um, so I want to argue that, uh, that, that it's like the temple, you can imagine that we're in the temple, we're in the temple because we're God's people, but we have to stretch the roof out over the whole earth. So the whole earth is within the temple. We're stretching the roof out and we're doing that by spreading God's kingdom. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So we're to extend the boundaries of the temple as we take God's gospel of grace into this world. We experience the presence of God by believing in Jesus, and then God's spirit dwells in us, and we are priests in this temple. We reflect God's glory, just as the temple is designed to, and as people come to faith in Christ, it expands the temple. And we're told that Jesus will return when every nation is reached. So, Let's come right, we'll end our time travel journey with now. And I want to summarize this by saying that our task as a church is to be God's temple, so filled with his glorious presence that we expand and fill the earth with that presence until our Lord Jesus consummates it. Our task as a church is to be to be God's temple so filled with his glorious presence that we expand and fill the earth with that presence until our Lord Jesus consummates it. When we do that, we'll fulfill the promise of Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, glory of the Lord, as the water covers the sea. Have any of you seen the sea recently? Most of you probably seen the sea. Have you noticed whether it's covered in water? Yeah, it is. It's pretty. There's not much of the sea that's not covered in water. You know, that's what the sea is. And so what does it mean for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea? It means everywhere. It means everywhere. And so this is the destiny that God has given us to do. We are to extend the boundaries of the temple. So what does this mean in practice? What does this actually look like in practice in our lives? And I'd like the worship team to come up now. Uh, We enlarge the temple every time we reflect God's glory, whether we do it by showing love, by an act of justice, by an act of compassion, most of all, by telling people about God's kingdom. By doing all of those things, by reflecting God's glory, we are extending the temple. You are extending the temple as you show God's glory, reflecting it because of who you are. And everything you do, I mean, you may see things just a little thing, you know, I just didn't get angry with that stupid person who's holding everyone up. Um, you know, that is that is showing God. When you stand up for someone who's being mistreated, when you listen to people who no one else listens to, when you pray for healing and freedom, where you do all of these things because Christ is in you, then you are reflecting God's glory. 
But most of all, when you tell people about how Jesus can free them from their darkness and they can become part of this temple. Because there's no place in the new creation for those who are not God's people. And if you're not part of the temple today, you need to come inside quickly. Why stay outside? This is the perfect forgiveness is in this place. There's a place for you there. There's a perfection of beauty. This is the only place that will last forever. So I want to say, if you're not part of the temple, you're not part of God's kingdom, come inside before it's too late. And if you're not sure what that means, I would love to talk with you. So I want to summarize then by saying, the mission of the church is to spread God's glory across the world to expand the temple, which is God's presence. I want to give you a sense of destiny today. You are carrying out, you're carrying the very presence of God. If you're a Christian, you are carrying the presence of God. You are doing that. And I want to challenge you to spread God's temple wherever you are, where you're at the workplace or with friends or just out somewhere in the city, you are carrying God's presence and you have an opportunity in little or big ways to reflect reflect God's glory. And one day, every bad thing will be gone and the pure presence of God will fill everything. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that you have made us living stones in your temple. And we thank you for this challenge you've given us to be part of your work of spreading your glory across this world. Lord, we pray that you would empower us with your spirit, you'll equip us, and Lord, you'll fill us with joy as we see what you're using our lives to do. Lord, we pray for New Life Church and for all the living stones within it. Lord, that we will carry out your mission to spread your presence across this earth. In Jesus' name. Amen.